Welcome to Globally Speaking, sponsored by Moravia and Nimsy Insights. Are you ready to dive into the most critical issues impacting language localization today? Globally Speaking is an independent program designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who's engaged in global communications. Your hosts for Globally Speaking are Renato Beninato and Michael Stevens. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. And now, here are Renato and Michael. I'm Michael Stevens. I'm Renato Beninato. And today, Renato, we get to talk to a guest from one of the largest software companies in the world. Absolutely. It's, an, it's not a consumer kind of product. It's not American. It's not American. You don't see it every day, but I can guarantee you that if you download music from iTunes, if you buy stuff at Walmart, if you do a shipment from UPS, you're probably going to be affected by the reach of this software. Yeah, so SAP kind of has taken over the world and they do have a model for localization that we don't see in every company. And today we're going to get some insight into that. My name is Marcus Meisel. I work at SAP in Germany. SAP is one of the largest business software companies in the world. I'm a member of the management team there. I have a, I have basically three teams, what we call translation service teams that service our in-house clients, so the different product departments, and we do all the localization, the translation work. I have to mention, if anyone from SAP listens to me, localization has a different meaning at SAP. Localization SAP means creating country versions, so having legal requirements translated into the software. So we are the language services department. Outside of our company, we, we call the localization department. Internally, they talk to you as language services. Yes. Okay. okay. So... You do not handle, and this would probably be handled, because SAP is the kind of software that touches every aspect of a business. So you have HR, you have accounting, you have Web. supply chain, you have anything that you That's want right. to talk about. And these are things that follow very local rules and legislation and so on. So that's not part of your scope. It's part of the area that SAP Language Services, my department, belongs to. We belong to a, a development group called Globalization Services. That's about a thousand people, mainly software developers, software engineers, that build those country versions. And one of the largest chunk of their work is to do the legal updates that happen every six months or every year. So our customers run their business 24-7 on our software. And when the government of the U.S. decides to change taxes, which may happen, and they say this is going to go live on January 1st, 2018, we will have to have all those tax changes in our system and ship to our customers and installed there so they can continue running their business. And we've got sort of smallish customers like Walmart that yeah. depend mm -hmm. on that sort of thing. Yeah, you're and talking billions of dollars. That. So that, that's what the larger area does. And translation is obviously one part of that because you can't create a country version without the So the, a thousand in globalization, how many in translation? 1,200 in globalization and 200 of those are in SAP language services. Okay. So SAP, unlike most other software companies in the world, doesn't outsource its language services. You are like a large LSP. We are a large LSP. We've outsourced the translation, though. 
Yeah, so absolutely. We, we, we have yeah. an ecosystem of about 110 or 120 agencies. We, we work with a single language vendor model. But yes, essentially, SLS, our language service department, is the project management organization. So we, we deal with the internal accounts, the internal clients, which could be development departments, it's marketing, it's the training department, it's a lot of corporate documents that we have to translate between English and German. Mm-hmm. We have a business partner management group that, that handles, it's basically our, our part of purchasing inside our department, handling all the agencies. But yeah, apart from the translation proper, we do it all in-house. There are very few companies left that work like this, which is very interesting because mm-hmm. there's also EA in the gaming industry that is very similar. They also, it's like they run an internal LSP. But I find this fascinating and I find it great because I tell, um, and we have several listeners here that are going to be knocking on your door after they listen to this podcast, that there's still hope for single language vendors. Single so language final vendors. Clients. Correct. <laughs> Correct. I'm not denying that this is a model that's being questioned time and again, you know, and, and the higher, higher up you get in the hierarchy and the less people know about the, the translation and localization aspects, the more difficult it gets to argue why this model is actually a good one. Mm-hmm. But so far, we've been quite successful in, in arguing it. When you have those discussions, what's the benefit you're getting? I mean, there's some costs involved by having people on full time and headcount and things like that. But what are, what are some of the benefits that SAP receives? You're right. People look at us as a really big, ugly cost center you know, because 200 people, 200 headcount cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Well, there's about 90 in Germany. And we've got large bases in Vancouver and Canada, which is also pretty high cost. Oh, that's the old business objects group. Yeah. That's okay. correct, yeah. Plus, we've got a base in Galway in Ireland, mm-hmm. which is lower cost. We're in Shanghai, which is lower cost. And we also have a, a base in, in Japan, okay. in Tokyo. So mm-hmm. the first thing that we always argue is we're in-house and we're integrated in the development and the engineering organization. So we can look after optimizing the processes internally. Mm-hmm. We do contribute to the company's top line by providing the text. If you want to sell your software in Russia, you have to have it in Russia. You know, same in China and Japan and so on. That is a contribution, but it, the revenue from that is not attributed to our department or even our area. You know, that goes through the sales organization. But we look after the bottom line. We make sure that the processes internally are as efficient as possible. And at the same time, because we're internal, we have direct access to the different teams that produce the text, whatever it happens to be. Could be UI text, can be marketing, can be training, whatever. Mm -hmm. If there's questions, and there are often in every project questions, you know, instead of creating queries, we can go there directly. So far, we've argued that that leads to a better quality at an equal price, probably. Mm-hmm. And the time factor really depends on the product or whatever it is that we translate. We're not really fully in control of timelines. You know, we're told to have it ready by then. Mm-hmm. Well, another company, just to make the parenthesis here, is IBM that has a hybrid model, but they also have this huge localization centers spread in multiple parts of the world, and they do a lot of the work working with the single language vendors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is SAP a developer-centric company? Very. And so this relationship would definitely keep developers happier rather than some outside force, would you say? Probably. It's hard to say because I think historically, SAP is really 
only a development company. Mm-hmm. We've only had something like that's called product management since the late 90s, really, before everyone did everything. So the developers went to the customers, which was good because they understood what the customers wanted. They pitched our products. They developed what the customers needed. So they did some sales. And then in the 90s, when SAP really boomed, we started developing specialized functions like product management, like consulting and so on. Still, localization translation is still an afterthought. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing because we are really important, but it's still an afterthought and, and we're trying to move further and further upstream. And especially now with things moving into the cloud and agile software development and continuous delivery, you know, the, the, the topic of this conference here at, at Lockworld, we need to be upfront and we need to have built-in quality and, and the quality of the text is a big part of it, a big aspect. And how is machine translation or neuromachine translation affecting your processes? I remember... Long, long time ago, our friend Daniel Grasmick was doing simultaneous releases in English and German, but I've lost contact, so I have no idea how you do these things today. Are you doing it in, I don't know, 25 languages at the same time? <laughs> yeah, well, no, he introduced machine translation at SAP, and yeah. obviously it was rule-based, and we spent several years now moving from rule-based to statistical, and we're like everyone else, we're also experimenting with neural with pretty good results. We're putting it bit by bit into our internal processes as well. There's a very strong pressure. There are quite a few people who don't know too much about all the aspects of software localization and translation who believe we could simply pump it through Google Translate and get what we need in terms of quality. Obviously, when you have machine translation, it's zero time, it's zero cost. Put very simply, (laughs) once you've got it all trained up, and then it's just a matter of quality. So obviously, we need to do it. Certain processes will go faster. Whether we'll save a lot of money, that's something that that remains to be seen. One of the things that I can thank the German culture is pragmatism. Right, So you're not going to be wasting money on adventures unless it's something that really works. And that's one of the things, probably the same in every big software company. If you want investments in, for example, development resources for MT, you have to kind of provide a business case. So Mm -hmm. we probably would want to have more people working on it to get faster because the company feels it competes with the likes of Google and Facebook and Amazon, even though we are different. You know, we're, we're a little bit like, let's say, Salesforce, we sell a product. We don't give the software away for free. Mm-hmm. So we take liability for what we ship because our customers pay us for it. And there's a bit of a difference. When you give away the software for free, you have a problem on the UI and the text. It's not really such a big deal. We have large customers like Walmart. Our largest one, I believe, is Nestle. And they use our software in many, many different languages. So I have personal experience, and I can tell you that sometimes it can be very hard. I, I worked on a project with a French company that bought the operating system where the system was running was in English. The user interface was in French. This is a long time ago. I'm sure that that has changed. And the error messages came up in German. So <laughs> That sort of thing can still happen today. Oh, really? Yes, unfortunately. But it's very complex. I don't know if people who are listening to us have any idea of how complex SAP is. It's, it's the operating system of companies. You talk about Walmart. You're managing the whole supply chain of the company with the software. It's the, the guy in China who receives an order from Walmart and it goes to the shipping company. It touches the, 
drivers in the trucks. It touches the accountants in five or six companies. It's, it's a, it's really a, a monster that you have with fingers yeah. in every space. So it's extremely complex. I understand the drive to try to keep this under control because of that complexity. But tell us a little bit about number of languages and types of vendors that you work with. So. Our core product, which used to be called R3, when the company's success really took off in the 90s and later was called ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning. These days it's called S4 HANA. It's basically the fourth version of that software. is translated into 39 or 40 languages. In recent years, so in the last 10 years, we've acquired a whole bunch of companies that have brought their own products. Mm -hmm. uh, there was Business Objects was the first large one. There's Concur, there's SuccessFactors, Sybase. They all have their own range of languages. I think the product with the, the largest number of languages is one of the SuccessFactors products with 46 or 47. The vendors we have, when we recruit them, we have sort of a couple of, of key requirements. We would like the founder or the CEO to be relatively involved in daily operations to at least understand what's happening in this company. The location should be in the target country or the language. Ideally, it's usually a key prerequisite, they should have a bunch of in-house translators who will then look after a lot of the quality. You have the volume to justify that. Yeah, yeah. And then essentially, most of them are small and mid-sized companies. Obviously, here and there in, in certain countries where there isn't a lot of choice of agencies. We also work with big MLVs, but then only for that particular country. And we also have agencies that are MLVs for other customers, but for us, they only serve the one language. When you guys benchmark yourselves as a group, are you looking at other MLVs in the industry? How do you think about that part of your business? I think we do. One of Renato mentioned him, Chris Pine, he used to have his own agency. He later he sold it to Lionbridge. He worked at Lionbridge. So he's, he's really well networked in the industry. And he was one of the key people who developed the idea of this, this model of this mm -hmm. ecosystem. We do look at others, but in a way, we're, we're very strongly following that model because it works for us. We have very close relationships with our agencies. We have a, a group of core focus agencies. They give us constant input on what we want to change. And, and they're always the first ones that we talk to when we want to change our processes or, or the tools that we use. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of very candid conversations between us and them because we don't always see eye to eye on what we're doing. So here in our podcast, we love stories. So... You have the choice. You can tell us a horror story or a success story, but you have to tell us a story. A horror story or a success story. Now you've got me. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've got, I've got a good combination. Okay, good. In the early 2000s, when everyone said SAP you know, is not on the internet and we kind of missed the boat on that, we started developing our first cloud solution, which originally didn't seem to be as successful. Uh, today, it's a fully-fledged cloud-based ERP system. When the company built that product, they basically took a number of experienced ERP developers, product managers, and so on, and shut them away. They had their own building, they had their own network, they had their own means of communicating, and no one else from the company was really supposed to interact with them. And they did a complete outside-in product definition process. So they sat down with lots of potential customers that they thought would be interested in developing the solution together. And they also said, we need to get away from the old picture that SAP portrays of really ugly UIs, really outdated language, because don't forget, at the time, 
the original ERP system was developed in German and then translated into English. So in that way, the language used was always different from what is the standard today, which is essentially Microsoft language, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the approach was we want completely different UI texts. We want the stuff to be modern and we're going to sit down with our customers and go back to the beginnings of the company where we sat with our customers together in the same room and defined what this button should be called. And they wanted the same from the translation side of things. We went out, we hired completely new agencies, hmm. even though the stuff that we translate, it's not consumer apps, right? So it's pretty complex and you really need to understand, especially on the financial side, but also on HR, what the terminology is. And so we did that and we thought that would work really well. And then deadlines came up and we needed to start translating a little bit faster than what we would have liked to do. Because normally when we start a new product, we, we have a longer terminology definition process for all languages. And then we base all translation work on that. It didn't happen in that way. So the first version of our software translated into German of that, it's called Business by Design. The product still exists today. As I said, it, it, it works really well now. Didn't find very positive feedback amongst all the German developers and product managers that had defined this product. I said, what is this? This is total nonsense. Who wrote this stuff? So we had a lot of interaction as the language services department, which I had just joined at the time. It was sort of my first big project I had to handle with and the department that we were serving, the by design department, correcting processes and uh, correcting processes internally, also helping them redefine their processes. They wanted to be really clever and reuse a lot of the code, which was great, but they also only had one development object with a text account and they reused that text account on the financial side and on the CRM side. In German, those are two different translations depending on the context. And they complained about the translation. We changed the translation in our translation systems. And then the other group complained because we had changed the account for CRM to the, to the term for financials. And it showed up in both directions. So basically, they had to then rethink what they did and create two objects, one for financials, one for CRM. And that's just one example of all the things that didn't go so well. Well, and you have millions of words that you, are included in yeah, this process. I believe that was six million in, at the beginning. There you go. <laughs> it, it, it took us a while of working together through the processes, but all the processes we created for by design, for example, also language acceptance tests and the way we run them today, that all goes back to those bad experiences. And these language acceptance tests these days are like the role model for all the other products. So out of an ugly story came a good one. Very good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Marcus. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Burns360. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, sponsored by Moravia and Nimsy Insights. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback. So until next time, please visit online at www.globallyspeakingradio.com.